Hello, and welcome to what was going to be another episode of Everything's 5x4, but I decided to throw a curveball and turn it into episode 4 of Everything's 2x12. I'm your host, Steve, and normally what we do on Everything's 5x4 is I talk about five subjects for four minutes apiece, and those subjects are baseball, beer, books, soccer, and TV. But this week, there was a lot of baseball and soccer, so I'm turning it into an episode of Everything's 2x12, where I just focus on baseball and soccer. So if you're not into either of those things, this is probably not a great episode for you, and I might see you um, you know, in a couple weeks. I'm planning on uh, taking a week off next week and be back with you on the 13th. But okay, so what is going on? Um, basically, I watched a lot of the Olympics today, and it was also the MLB trade deadline. And the most interesting event from the Olympics today that I saw had to be the U.S. women's soccer match against the Netherlands, uh, the quarterfinal. And I'll get to that, but that's the other thing. There's going to be spoilers for that. So if for some reason you have not watched it yet, I would uh, take a pass on the rest of this episode as well, because I'm going to talk a bit about that, as well as uh, U.S. men in the Gold Cup. And yeah, so there's just a lot of sports on right now. And I watched a lot of interesting stuff at the Olympics, like that I wouldn't normally watch, like rowing and badminton. Um, it was nice having the day off. Anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to get to baseball. Uh, the trade deadline kind of necessitated changing this into an everything's 2 by 12 because a lot of really interesting things happened, and I will get to that now. Okay, so what I initially had planned to do uh, with baseball was talk a bit about um, the Olympics. The U.S. played Israel today and is playing South Korea tomorrow, which should be a really interesting game. I'm looking forward to that. But for a second, all that Olympics focus and focus on other sports of the Olympics made me forget, hey, it's actually the trade deadline. <laughs> so I ended up watching a little bit of the trade deadline show on MLB Network. And uh, the White Sox made a move that actually made me curse at the TV, not in anger, but more surprise. Uh, so I'll get, I'll get to that as well. Uh, before I get to the White Sox moves, though, I do want to um, talk about something the Marlins did, which I thought was pretty interesting. You're not going to get a lot of Marlins talk like anywhere. But the Marlins traded Starlin, Starling Marte, who was by far their, their best hitter this season and uh, one of their best fielders as well, just generally their best overall player. But he also is 33. and. Uh, is in the final year of his deal. So it was pretty clear with the Marlins being under 500, although they've had some some bad luck, if you look at their run differential, that they were going to be a seller this year, uh, even in a division which is kind of open. But the Marlins and the Nationals turned into sellers. The Phillies and Braves, I guess, are sort of making go a go of it, and the Mets were big buyers. But anyway, moving on from just talking about the NL East, Let's talk about Starling Marte. The thing that was kind of surprising is he got traded to the A's for Jesus Lazardo. And that is a surprise if you looked at Jesus Lazardo's numbers 
a couple of years ago. Uh, he was really impressive in his rookie season. Uh, not really a rookie of the year candidate, but a guy who looked like at a young age he could be the staple of an A's rotation for a while. But I hadn't been following him as much this year. This year he had a 6.87 ERA and got bounced out of the A's rotation. Even if you look at he had a 4.66 FIP uh, fielding independent pitching, which makes you think he had a little bit of bad luck, but that's still below par considering uh, it's kind of been a year of the pitcher. And I'm just kind of surprised the A's were willing to cut bait with him because he's only 23. But here's why it's interesting. It's interesting for a couple reasons. So he actually is a graduate of Stoneman Douglas High in Parkland. So he's, he's coming home, essentially, to play for the Marlins. And the Marlins rotation is just quietly shaping up to be really something to see. So you're going to have a rotation next year. Their starting rotation is going to be headlined by Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers, who are both all-stars. Alcantara is going to be only 26. Rogers is only going to be 24. Sixto Sanchez might be the best pitcher out of all of them. He's just had some serious injury problems, but he pitched in the playoffs for the Marlins last year and pitched pretty well. He's only going to be 23. Pablo Lopez was having a really good year um, with his strikeout rate until he also experienced some injuries. He's only, he's only going to be 25. So right there, you have a really good top four in your rotation, the oldest of whom is going to be 26. And after them, you've got um, fighting it out for that fifth spot. You've got Lazardo, You've got uh, who's only going to be 24. You've got Edward Cabrera who is a top 100 MLB pipeline prospect, only is going to be 24. Braxton Garrett, former first-round pick, he's going to be still only 23. And then you have the elder statesman of the group, the grandpa, Alicia Hernandez, who is only going to be 27. And, uh, you know, he has uh, shown shown some quality at the major league level. He's been a bit streaky, hit or miss, but again, a guy uh, who you'd be happy to have as your fifth starter, and he's going to be only competing for that spot. So the Marlins have been accumulating some really good young arms. They just uh, need to do it with the bats. I think having Brian Anderson healthy will help, but he's going to need some help, but hopefully they're developing. And another thing, you know, you always want to shout out uh, the Marlins' uh, Kim Ng their general manager, the first uh, woman to be a general manager, uh, first Asian-American woman to be a general manager in baseball. And uh, this was, was, I think, a pretty good move for her. Um, Even if Wizardo doesn't uh, doesn't pan out, he's worth worth taking a lottery ticket on because he showed a lot of potential. And that Marlins rotation is just nothing to sleep on, nothing to mess with. You know, and if they get some bats, they can make some noise in the NL East for the next few years. All right, going back to the Sox, because, yeah, the situation with the Sox is pretty wild. Um, There were a lot of Sox fans on Twitter and other social media kind of mocking the idea, oh, why would Rick Hahn get anybody at the deadline? Who are you kidding? This guy doesn't know how to trade. Um, I think one of my favorites was there was actually someone who said you might as well believe in Santa Claus. 
And now that wasn't the exact tweet, but that was the gist of it. And it actually ended up kind of funny because today he actually um, put a gif of uh, Elf Will Ferrell saying Santa's coming on, uh, on his timeline and kind of was willing to have a laugh at himself. So, you know, always appreciate people kind of taking an L with uh, self-deprecating humor. But that trade, the trade that happened today, the Sox got Craig Kimbrell uh, for Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. And that, yeah, that made me curse the TV. I do not curse the TV very often, but yeah, that was definitely uh, audible WTF when I saw that happening. Um, and I'm just, you know, censoring myself so I don't get some kind of explicit content rating or whatever by Spotify, but you know what I mean. And uh, so here's what's interesting about that. Madrigal is a special type of player. He was a first-round draft pick in 2018. Definitely a guy. They don't make him like this anymore in terms of his contact skills, his low strikeout rate. Uh, he's had some issues with base running in the glove, but those are generally strengths for him. Um, I think it's just kind of literal rookie mistakes. He's a guy I'm really worried about this trade coming back to bite us on. However. I think it's it's just you can't say it's it's not a good trade still because Kimbrell right now um, among there's 165 relievers in baseball who've had 30 innings pitched this year and this data is from Fangraphs. Uh, Kimbrell is first among 165 of them in ERA, wins above replacement, and opponent, lowest opponent's batting average. Uh, that's pretty good, <laughs> um, you know and. Ryan Tapera, the, the Sox also picked up Ryan Tapera from the Cubs. And that's that's also what kind of stings here, I think, a little bit with the Kimbrel trade is you're giving a player with Nick Madrigal's potential to the Cubs. But, you know, you just got to try and forget that and hope he doesn't pull an Eloy Jimenez um, against us, even though it was obviously really enjoyable to see Eloy do that to the Cubs. So anyway, Ryan, Ryan Tapera, um, another good pickup basically received for a guy who's barely in the Sox uh, top 30 prospects who is struggling in high A, Bailey Horn. Um, but you look at the bullpen now, and you've got Liam Hendricks, who's was an all-star, who's been one of the best closers in baseball this year and last year. And Kim, now Kimbrell and Tapera join the bullpen. Uh, Tapera has the seventh lowest batting average against and fifth lowest whip uh, walks and hits per inning pitch pitched and uh, is 21st and more among all relievers in baseball with over 30 innings. So um, Kimbrell, Hendricks, and Tapera are actually top five among all relievers in baseball in lowest whips. So that bullpen is just going to be a monster. Craig Kimbrell is actually signed um he's well he's not signed he's got a player option for next year so he's not purely a rental the Sox, unless he just completely falls apart the Sox are going to take that option and you basically have a real big two-headed monster out of that bullpen kimbrell is a guy who i think a lot of people mocked because he struggled before this season uh they said he was done but this is a guy who had over 300 career saves uh, was just an absolutely lights-out closer for the Braves and Red Sox before he came to the Cubs and has been a lights-out closer again this year. 
he's just going to kill it as an eighth inning setup, man. The other pickup the Sox got was Cesar Hernandez from Cleveland, the future Guardians, uh, for Connor Pilkington. Now, Connor Pilkington is doing was pitching really well at AA Birmingham, but he's a guy who was only the number 23 MLB pipeline prospect in the system last year. This year, I didn't see him on there, but I'm not sure if it's because I looked him up after he was traded. But either way, he's, he's, he was towards the bottom of our top prospects. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, his slash line doesn't look too great at 231 average through a 7 OBP. He's having a career year slugging, though. He's 18 home runs. Um, his uh, OPS is 738. His career is 736. So it's interesting because his uh, career batting average and OBP are way down, but they're made up for by his slugging being 40 points higher. He's got a 97 OPS plus, 100 WRC plus, so way to runs created. So he's kind of got an average offensive profile, but he did win a gold glove this year, although he struggled this year. So, And he also is a player option for 2022. So I think he's a solid second baseman. He's not going to set the world on fire, but he's definitely an improvement over Lurie Garcia and Danny Mendick. And... I just think this was a fantastic trade deadline. I went through a lot of emotions hearing Nick Mandrigal was getting traded instead of um, instead of a prospect. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Even Cody Hoyer was really good in 2020. And this year, in spite of a really bad ERA and whip, uh, was sixth in the AL and lowest percentage of inherited runners scored. Um, so he's still got some potential, but I think uh, having that absolute monster bullpen this year and probably next year is worth it. And I'm really looking forward to the next few months. Okay, I just want to edit this in before I actually get to baseball. Um, everyone's kind of telling people, but I just want to add my voice to the chorus here. Uh, if you're unvaccinated, please, please get vaccinated. If you can't get vaccinated, please wear a mask. Uh, Delta has been ravaging Florida. I actually am including this here because I'm pretty bummed out on a personal level. Um, and it's the privilege of being bummed out, not because I had family or friends get hospitalized or die, but because I think it's not going to be safe to go to the Sox and Rays game because it's in an indoor stadium. I was planning on going to all three of those. But with so many people unvaccinated and unmasked, I don't really feel like um, getting a breakthrough case, even though I know it's not going to cause me much permanent damage because I'm vaccinated. I still don't really feel like being sick for a week or two because other people are selfish. So, yeah, if you've just if you're amenable to it, but have just been, um, you know, slacking, not getting around to it. Definitely do it for your sake and for everyone else around you. And that has been my PSA. Thanks. Okay, moving on to soccer. So I, I've said in previous episodes, both of everything's 2 by 12 and everything's 5 by 4 the situation with soccer has been pretty overwhelming, to be honest. And right now you have a couple major tournaments going on. You've got the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team at major tournaments. I'm actually going to go with the kind of more negative, bad news type of thing first. So I'm going to talk about the men's team for a little bit before I move on to the women's team. 
which I think I have more positive stuff to say about. And first of all, I'm not I'm not putting this on the men's team. I'm not really saying anything negative about them per se, just sort of about the situation. So I kind of decided, uh, I DVR'd it. I thought about it. I decided not to watch the U.S. playing Qatar or Qatar. I've heard it pronounced both ways. One, because it's kind of ridiculous that they are even at the Gold Cup. That's just kind of a weird invitation. But two, I kind of felt like, okay, this is going to go one of a couple ways. It's either going to be a U.S. route or it's going to be a very close game that the U.S. barely squeeze by or even lose. And I'm just, I would just be kind of disappointed in having watched it. And as it turned out, it, it turned out to be one of those games which uh, the U.S. just squeaked through with a late goal by Gassi's artists. Um, so people have described the U.S. men's squad in this tournament as kind of a B-minus type of squad. And I tend to agree. I think there's a lot of young players that are giving a, giving a look, a lot of MLS players. And, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, those guys definitely deserve to have a chance to see how they can contribute to the national team in the future. But that's kind of more what you do if you're congested. Um, you know, if there's other tournaments going on, if the U.S. men's team were in the Olympics, for instance, well, you send the A squad to the Olympics, these guys... I get some of it as COVID. There's uh, some restrictions on it, but it's still, it's just a little, it, it just feels like the U.S. isn't taking the Gold Cup seriously. And, you know, I worry it's going to be shades of 2009 when the U.S. lost, uh, sent out a B team and lost 5-0 to Mexico in the final. Uh, you know, but there's a reason the U.S. don't take the Gold Cup all that seriously. The U.S. has either been the winner or runner-up uh, so made the final in seven of the last eight competitions. And the Gold Cup is happening every two years. So it's it's getting kind of stale. It's just kind of like, well, Mexico or U.S. in the final. Sometimes, you know, Panama or Jamaica will sneak in there. You know, but it just, it really feels like it would be beneficial um, for a number of those teams and CONCACAF, the better teams in CONCACAF, including the U.S., to either break off and join Comebol, the South American Confederation, or at least play in Copa America. Um, the Copa America Centenario uh, five years ago, the U.S. reached the semifinals, and honestly, that seemed like a bigger accomplishment than winning the Gold Cup uh, or finishing runners-up in the Gold Cup every year. Uh, you miss the final in the Gold Cup, and it feels like a failure. Making the semifinals in Copa America seemed like a big accomplishment. That edition of Copa America had the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, and Jamaica in it. And I, I mentioned those teams because those are all teams um, that have been in all of the finals uh, since 1991, um, or actually, I'm, I'll backtrack a bit here. I'm not going to add this because, uh, you know, I've already been talking for a few minutes, but I, I got a little ahead of myself. So the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, and Jamaica were in it, as was Haiti. Um, if you switch Canada 
uh, Haiti with Canada than every CONCACAF member that's been in a Gold Cup final since 1991 would be in the Copa America tournament. That's that's it. Um, and Costa Rica hasn't even made the finals, but Costa Rica has been to the World Cup quarterfinals. So you look at those teams, and clearly that's the class of CONCACAF. Uh, Haiti has made it to the CONCACAF semifinals. Haiti is not a team necessarily to be taken lightly, but I think oh, at this point they're not quite as accomplished as Canada is. I think if you add U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Jamaica, and Canada to Comabal to uh, either Comabal permanently or at least the Copa America permanently, you've got 16 teams, um, and that's just a more round number for a tournament. And um, yeah, you, I think you just have a better competition. Uh, the Gold Cup has just become this thing where it's, yeah, for the U.S. and Mexico, it's just kind of waiting to play each other almost. Every now and then, Panama and Jamaica, again, like they're kind of running roughshod out over these smaller countries too, as is Costa Rica and Canada. And I think all of them, yeah, all of them maybe deserve a chance to play against a little bit better competition. Uh, if they did join Coma Ball permanently, you could give some of um, give Coma Ball some additional qualifying slots from Concacaf, and it doesn't really matter for twenty twenty six anyway because you've got forty eight teams in the World Cup, which is I think a lot in my opinion, uh, too many. But you also already have the U.S., Mexico, and Canada as hosts, so I think this. Leaving the Gold Cup to join Copa America would happen pretty far in the future. I also want to say this isn't my unique idea. Other people have proposed it, um, I'm sure. So, you know, but it, it's just something I've been thinking about. I'm not sure if anyone's proposed it the exact same way I have, but I'm guessing people have said a lot of similar things because I think it's a good idea and would improve competition in the Americas. All right. Anyway, getting on to getting on to the women, I think it's just I have more positive stuff to say. Again, um, spoiler alert, I guess, for anyone who didn't watch the match this morning. But the U.S. women's national team did beat the Netherlands in the Olympic quarterfinals. And it was just a classic game. It was actually really disappointing it happened in the quarterfinals because you have um, the two World Cup finalists. It was a rematch of the World Cup final in 2019, and they're playing each other in the quarterfinals, not in the semis or, um, or you know, with a medal at stake. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a little disappointing it happened this early, but, you know, 2-2, um, you really saw what the Netherlands could do and how they've developed. Uh, Vivian... Miedema, um, I probably pronounced her name wrong. <laughs> I swear I watched the game. But <laughs> she actually had a brace and scored 10 goals in the tournament. So, again, just someone that for people, she plays for Arsenal. So, for people watching more of the FA Women's, uh, Women's Super League, you're going to, um, going to know her name and recognize her. But, yeah, she had a really great tournament. The Dutch just generally gave the Americans all they could handle. Uh, it was a great game, back and forth all game. Nice work from Alyssa Nair in goal, even though one of those uh, we had my goals she probably should have saved, but she saved uh, She saved two in the penalty shootout. She saved a penalty 
um, for Malika Martins. And, uh, you know, really good game for Lynn Williams. It was her actual first Olympic start. She had a goal and assist. And I really liked um, what happened an hour in. It was 2-2. Um, and they didn't all, all the changes didn't happen on the hour exactly. But they were right around there. Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press all came off the bench. None of them scored a goal, but they all looked dangerous. Kristen Press, I'm actually really glad she scored one of the penalties uh, in the shootout because she actually had two goals disallowed. And I want to say they were they were balls that went into the net. But when you look at the VAR and the officiating, she was slightly offside, very slightly, disappointingly slightly in terms of, yeah, you're barely off, but it was the right call. So I think in this case, Soccer fans have given uh, VAR, given officiating um, a lot of grief, understandably so. But I think in this game, it was actually really good. They got the calls right. And, uh, you know, but it was just, it was an exciting match. And I look forward to watching watching more of the Olympics, uh, women's Olympic soccer. And I actually look forward to future games the U.S. has against the Netherlands because this looks like another um, another rivalry like with Sweden and some of these other countries where, you know, every now and then it's fun to see things in the World Cup like the U.S. beating Thailand uh, 13-0. But, you know, there's something to be said for close games. I think this one might get forgotten by people because it's only a quarterfinal match, but it was, it was definitely, a, definitely a classic in terms of merit. And, um, you know, I think the U.S. is is probably set for maybe a collision course with Sweden in the in the final in the gold medal match. But we'll see what happens. Still got to get past Canada and Christine Sinclair, who is uh, an elite scorer pretty much every level she's played domestically, internationally. So, yeah, that's that's actually about all I have for soccer. Um, And I apologize if I messed anything up. Uh, women's side I'm, I'm hoping right now i'm pretty sure christine sinclair is playing I'll, I'll feel like a clown if she's not for saying oh yeah the u.s has to watch out for for her but you know i'm pretty sure she is and uh, and yeah that's about it so not quite 12 minutes today there's more obviously i could discuss with soccer but nothing i could really sum up in 45 seconds so yeah i'm just gonna just gonna call it there and move on to the outro Okay, so that does it for this episode of Everything's 2x12. Uh, we're actually not going to be going back to a new episode of Everything's 5x4 next week. Uh, it'll be the 13th, so a couple weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be back at you with a regular episode of Everything's 5x4. Again, this has been your host, Steve. If you want to reach me, send me hate mail, send me questions, just let me know you're listening. Um, my email address is everythings5x4 at gmail.com. That's everythings, no apostrophe, 5x4 at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for listening. And as I've been saying, if you're in any way hesitant about getting vaccinated, please do so if you can. Uh, let's get us out of this mess. And uh, yeah, that's about it. As I always say, keep everything five by four.
Thank you for listening. Bye.